John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 110 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I'm your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, a real one, not a fake one, because unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. We continue to bring you lots of sanity in a world gone totally mad. Uh, welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. The theme of today's podcast will be liberals have totally lost their minds, but will it be enough to save Donald Trump's presidency? I don't know for sure what the answer to that is, but as of right now, it's not looking particularly good for Donald Trump, despite the fact that liberals have, in fact, totally and completely lost their minds. Correct. So over the last couple of weeks, let's review just how insane things have gotten. Just over two weeks ago, the coronavirus was the most important thing in the history of the country and the world. That's what we were told by everybody, the experts, the media, academia, our leaders. It was the most important thing that ever happened. Our entire existence needed to be shut down, our way of life destroyed. Everything we thought we knew about living was different. All of it, because we needed to do everything we possibly could to save all lives. They, of course, they changed the rules on us. At first, it was flatten the curve. Then it was save all lives at all costs. Uh, but in an unprecedented fashion, we were going to do everything we possibly could to combat the coronavirus. That was two weeks ago. Today, the United States of America, a country that... Uh, for eight years, eight years, 
starting in 2009 and ending in 2013, I'm sorry, 2017, had a black president, a black president elected twice by healthy margins, Barack Obama, a country that had a president for eight years that was a black man, ran as a black man, celebrated as a black man. This country is now a incredibly and hopelessly racist nation. Correct. Now, I realize that in the meantime, we elected Donald Trump, who could arguably be a racist president and, and clearly got elected on the votes of a lot of white people, many of whom, not all, maybe not even a majority, many of whom voted for him out of white angst, which is at least related certainly in the liberals' minds, to racism. So I get that uh, racism still exists. Uh, it will unfortunately always exist. It exists on both sides, all sides of the, the racial divide. And that Donald Trump has not helped it. But how in the world in three and a half years you can go from a country that just had eight years of Barack Obama as your president to a country that now is so incredibly racist that we need to basically forget everything that we were told for the last two or three months that the coronavirus was everything. And now all of a sudden, no, 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 The most important issue, in fact, the only issue that really matters is just how racist is the United States of America. And why did this happen? Well, because we have a police force that is committed to killing black men. Right? That's what we're told. That's, that's what we were told. Okay, well, what's the basis of this? The death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which I'm sure you're aware was a horrendous situation involving a horrific video, almost nine minutes uh, of uh, a guy stepping on, on uh, a, a suspect's neck for a apparently relatively minor crime that he may have committed, and he ends up dying. And I would like to know more about the circumstances of his death. Clearly, what the police officer did at least contributed, if not directly caused the death. No one is arguing that this was not a horrendous situation. No one's arguing that the police officer did the right thing. Whether or not it's murder or not is, I think, a very open question. And even a bigger question is, was there even a racial component to that? I mean, bad things happen all the time. Police officers make mistakes all the time. A lot of police officers are assholes, uh, and uh, unfortunate circumstances occur as well. What Was his intent to murder George Floyd because he's a black man in the middle of broad daylight with three other police officers standing right there and being videotaped from multiple angles? That was, that was his intent. Really? You cannot be serious. I, I, I need some evidence for that. I, I would need some evidence to show that that was the intent of the police officer. By the way, even if it was, well, that would be horrific. How would that in any way, shape, or form be a statement about all police or a statement about all of America? This is a country of 327 million people. So one police officer does something incredibly horrendous, even if it's the worst possible interpretation of the action, and, and that er eliminates the acts of everybody else in the country. It eliminates eight years of Barack Obama. It, it paints all police as horrendous and racist to the point where 
Now they have to at least be defunded, if not disbanded? What? What? It's just flat out ridiculous. This is now essentially the official position, although Joe Biden is pretending to fight this. The official position of the Democratic Party is that we're not just against police brutality, which is perfectly fine. No, 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 no. We're in favor of defunding the police. We're in case, some cases in favor of disbanding the police. We're in favor of taking away the federal immunity from police, which virtually every major sports star in the country signed a petition in favor of today in a bill of Congress, which I should point out is co-sponsored by Justin Amash, the libertarian former Republican congressman who I admire and like, but I don't always agree with. And uh, I have problems with this bill, especially the symbolism of it in this environment, because I think we're creating a set of circumstances where it's going to be impossible to do police work going forward. And I'm coming at this from somebody who has had a very dim view of law enforcement in general for a while. I grew up thinking law enforcement you know, were the good guys and they hardly ever did wrong and, uh, and you know, all that. And uh, over time and living real life, I realized that's not the case. I don't talk about it much, but I've actually been a victim of legitimate police brutality. There's video of it. It would have gone viral if, if the media liked my cause. Uh, but uh, so I, I've experienced this to some degree. And the shutdown has really diminished my view of law enforcement because of some of the things that they have uh, been enforcing that are utterly ridiculous, especially here in Southern California. So I'm not coming at this from the perspective of a police apologist. I, I'm, a, I'm the opposite. I have a lot of reasons to have animus towards police, and I think a lot of police officers are assholes. I think you give a small man a lot of power, look the fuck out. And, and that's what happens a lot with police. Not, not a majority, nowhere near all, but with a lot of them. And that's a big, I think the asshole problem is a bigger problem than the racist problem, although they might be connected in, in some ways. But, uh, but the idea that somehow we're now going to make it impossible for police to do their jobs because of one really bad videotaped episode and then a bunch of others that get lumped into this because now, my gosh, we've got riots. So when you have riots and you got cell phones, guess what? There's no way to stop a riot that doesn't look bad on video. It's not possible. That's the real world. And and if we want to live in a world where the police are completely toothless or do not exist, what's really ironic about the riots of the last couple of weeks is they prove how much we need police to not be castrated, to, to not be totally powerless. I mean, Anybody who's been a parent, anyone who's been a teacher, anyone who's been a coach knows that the the way that our culture has gone has made it virtually impossible to do those jobs. It, it, the way this country works is everything's on a pendulum. And, you know, was the pendulum too far in the other direction at some point in the, in the past? Probably so. But now we're going so far in overcorrecting that we're going to make it impossible to do those jobs. A, a kid knows immediately when a teacher or a parent or a coach has no power, cannot do anything to enforce their will. And as soon as they know that, you're done. Well, it's the same with the police. The, the, you have to give, you, there, there's going to be some bad things that happen. You cannot live in a utopia world with police. 
It's, it's impossible because in order to be able to create the impression that the police have the authority, they can't be looking over their shoulders concerned about how a snippet of a cell phone video is going to be misinterpreted with no context, ending their careers, and maybe eliminating their freedom, as we've seen already. And I'm not talking about killing black people. I'm talking about situations that are far, far, far less egregious uh, and far more ambiguous, like, for instance, the situation in Buffalo, which I will get to uh, shortly, uh, that I do, which I've been bizarrely involved with and somehow on the same side as Trump in some ways, uh, which is just so typical of this upside-down world. But you cannot, you cannot do police work, especially in a riot situation, when you think if anything you do gets misinterpreted, your career is over and your uh, livelihood, forget about your livelihood, you, maybe your freedoms might be over. You might be arrested. You might be put in jail if something gets misinterpreted. It's a very fine line. I get that you got to punish bad police officers, and bad police officers are punished. But to throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater here is just unbelievable. It is absolutely insane. I do not understand why these people are doing this. I, I, I shouldn't say I don't understand why they're doing it. They're doing it because they're getting love from social media and from people they know. And the virtue signaling, my God, the virtue signaling has become off the charts, off the charts uh, on this particular issue. I mean, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer with this bizarre kneeling video, uh, uh, kneeling for eight and a half minutes. Boy, that had to be bad on Chuck Schumer's knees, I'm guessing. Uh, but I mean, it, I mean, it was it was it was insane. It was pathetic, and and it, it it was right on top of all sorts of other videos of white people kneeling with their hands up, surrendering their white privilege because of because of George Floyd's death. What? What? What is going on? We we have. I used to say many years ago as a talk show host in Los Angeles, and I think I coined this phrase, I used to say that we have left the gravitational pull of the rational earth, which I, a phrase that I really liked because I, th- I thought it was accurate and it was prescient and it really uh, described what was happening. We are so far from the pull of the, the gravitational pull of the rational earth now, we can't even see the rational earth anymore. It is no longer in our eyesight. That's how insane we have gotten on both sides, on both sides of the political divide. It is completely nuts what what has happened here. And, you know, I mentioned the sports stars and the police. I just want to make this point because I, I tried to make it on Twitter. And, of course, people immediately purposely misinterpreted it. I found it very ironic that uh, among the sports stars that were calling for an end to federal immunity for police officers, and I guarantee you, of the 1,400 uh, sports stars that signed this thing, none of them knew what the bill would actually do. Uh, but among them were a lot of prominent NFL quarterbacks. Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Drew Brees, my God. Wow. 
boy, boy, did Drew Brees get castrated over the last uh, week. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. I, I mean, my gosh, Drew Brees, quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, the guy who's done more for New Orleans and for black people in New Orleans post-Katrina than any other person probably alive. A, a guy with a sterling reputation, a guy who won a Super Bowl in New Orleans, uh, makes a statement about never kneeling for the flag, and he gets destroyed destroyed by social media, has to apologize twice, and he signs this thing uh, uh, that's essentially anti-police. And I'm, I'm well aware that technically the individual police officer, if this were to ever pass, would not be liable for their actions uh, w- during their line of work. But it would completely change the equation. It would essentially mean that a police department would have an incentive to fire anybody who did anything that looked even remotely wrong. And you cannot do police work under those circumstances, especially intense riot-like situations. And the analogy that I used on Twitter, which I think is really good considering Tom Brady and Drew Brees are the ones who are the big headliners of this thing, is that as a quarterback, they ought to know. They would be the first to tell you they could never do their jobs. They could never throw a touchdown pass if they thought if they threw one interception, they were going to the bench or they were getting cut. Then their careers would be over because you have to make split-second decisions as a quarterback. You have to make risk-reward decisions in milliseconds. And in order to be able to make those decisions, you need to know somebody has your back. You need to know that this isn't going to be the end of you if it turns out badly, even if it's not really your fault. And so it's it's particularly bizarre to me that these guys don't see that. Maybe they do and don't care because it's all about virtue signaling, because no one's going to get criticized. The the liberal media loves this. The sports media loves this. Social media loves this. Their fan base loves this. Their teammates, many of whom are black, they love this too. And it creates a forward momentum for insanity. For insanity. And the NFL commissioner essentially had to apologize (laughs) for his white privilege. Roger Goodell. Uh, you know, the, over the whole Colin Kaepernick situation, which I believe has been completely distorted by the news media. I happen to believe Colin Kaepernick is largely a fraud and couldn't play in the National Football League right now if, if, a, if a team was paid uh, to play him. And maybe someday they will be. Uh, but uh, he, he had to Roger Goodell had to apologize, saying that uh, we didn't fully understand the protests against the police. Uh, he might as well have been on, on his knees with his hands up in the air apologizing for his white privilege. What the hell is white privilege? I, look, I, I, as I, I've been a white person all my life. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of uh, things that get you privilege in this country. Being rich gets you privilege. Being a celebrity gets you privilege. Being a really hot woman gets you privilege, right? Uh, being inherently white does not get you privilege. In fact, uh, I would argue that in many cases, depending on your line of work and the situation, there are more circumstances where being white will get you at the back of the line now than it will be at the front of the line. I'm not naive. There are still situations that are isolated that are not that way. But if you're a poor, uh, non-celebrity, 
you know, non-good-looking white person, <laughs> you have no white privilege. I mean, and that's what it would be about, right? I mean, if it's really about white privilege, it would be about the color of your skin. So tell tell a poor, ugly, uh, non-celebrity white person about their white privilege. They have no white privilege, which is, by the way, part of why they voted for Trump. That's a big part of why they voted for Trump. Correct. Uh, and let's face it. I love the poorly educated. I mean, there is a lot of white angst because of this insanity on the left. It's a large part of what got Trump elected. Whether it can get him reelected, I am starting to doubt. I, I am starting to doubt whether or not it can get him reelected because there's zero signs so far. Now, it's early. But there's zero signs so far that he is seeing any signs of increase in his support because of this insanity on the left. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. Now, that can change over time. It takes a little bit of time for this to sink in, for people to for the dust to settle, for the polls to pick up on this. And so I'm I'm not going to make a declaration as of yet. But I got to tell you, if in the next couple of weeks, if things stay as they are, and, and especially if there's no huge spike in the virus and the stock market continues to be strong and unemployment appears to be coming back. And if all that's going on in two weeks and there's no movement for Trump and his approval rating or how he's doing against Biden, he might be toast. Because what it will mean is that none of this insanity on the left is having an impact. It has always been the presumption of, of a, a lot of political commentators, and they won't tell you this publicly because it sounds racist, uh, but you know, I, I'll tell it to you because I'm not afraid because I know I'm not a racist. There's always been this presumption that the more Democrats talk about race, the more they capitulate to, to uh, black people on race, the more black people are seen rioting uh, in, in major cities. The more that happens, the better it is for someone like Trump. Because there are a lot of white people out there who might not say it publicly, but at least in the polling booth or in their write-in vote are going to go, okay, I'm a little uh, uncomfortable about this. And you know what? I don't like Trump, but I'm going to vote for him anyway, because at least I know, uh, you know that the president doesn't want uh, you know, my house to be ransacked and nothing to happen to the people who do it. Uh, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that has always been a presumption. And when you look at the key states that are going to decide this election, the six or seven key states, they are largely majority white population states. And some of them are white population states with significant black populations in the cities, specifically Michigan and Pennsylvania. And it is in those states where typically the, that the, the race card, if you will, has the largest impact on white voters. There are a lot of reasons for that. They're complex, but historically, it's very clear. All you got to do, by the way, is is look at the the 2008 uh, election results in the primary on the Democratic side between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. It was clockwork, clockwork. White people in states that had significant black populations voted overwhelmingly for Hillary Clinton. And interestingly, white people in in states like a Wisconsin is a good example, which has a small black population, went the opposite way. And so so there it's very clear 
that you know for the last uh, several decades this white fear, white angst, white flight, whatever you want to call it, has been a powerful political weapon on both sides. No one wants to talk about it on the Democratic side, but uh, but certainly on the Republican side, there's no evidence that's happening so far, and it's not as if. <laughs> We're in a situation where it's not clear to the public where the left is on this issue. My God. I mean, they could not possibly be capitulating more to the far, far, far left nut jobs of their party on this issue. They're literally, again, while Biden is claiming not to be in favor of defunding the police, everybody else supporting him is at least making some sort of statement that is anti-police. Defund, disband take away immunity, what have you. And the, the protests, while they've gotten far less violent, uh, we're still seeing all sorts of crazy things happen. Uh, um, the Frank Rizzo statue in Philadelphia, where I grew up, uh, that got uh, taken down. Robert E. Lee in Virginia uh, is going to be taken down if it hasn't already been. Christopher Columbus in Virginia got taken down uh, last night by protesters. Uh, um, the TV show Cops cops after 30 some years got canceled gone with the wind is now off of hbo max which is what you cannot be serious really really people uh, really um gone with the wind which uh, i happen to think is the most overrated movie of all time i didn't see it until i was an adult and i was very disappointed with it uh, are, are there things in there that are racially insensitive? Absolutely. But guess what? It was depicting that time period. It's actually pretty historically accurate. And more importantly, th- th- there, there was an actress uh, in that movie, uh, Hattie McDaniel, who won the first African-American Oscar because of her role in that movie. It's a literal piece of black history. <laughs> And that's what they want to eliminate? That's what they want to cancel? Because it's perceived as somehow a racist movie? I'm actually far more offended by Gone with the Wind because it glorifies rape. That's what it does. I mean, there's a scene in the movie that absolutely glorifies the rape of the main character. Somehow that no longer. I don't know what happened to Me Too. I mean, I actually thought Gone with the Wind was in big trouble in the Me Too movement. No one mentioned that. But now suddenly we're going to just we're going to destroy Hattie McDaniel's Oscar winning performance because somehow that makes people feel better about the death of George Floyd. What is happening? It's just flat out ridiculous. We have we have completely lost our minds and the other element of these uh, protests and the you know now we got to pretend that uh, you know race is the biggest issue facing this country even within the the virus crisis and i i I'm, this is why i'm a little surprised by uh, why trump has had a diminishment of his numbers and why if it doesn't turn around in the next couple of weeks something is very very wrong for him is how in the world does the average person look at these massive protests with no social distancing at all. Now, you know, sometimes they're wearing masks, but thousands and thousands of people, like what happened in Philadelphia over the weekend, thousands of thousands of people in close contact, no social distancing whatsoever. Now, to be clear, I don't think they're going to create, I don't think it's going to create massive spikes in the virus because I don't believe that outdoor transmission is the way that the virus is, is normally transmitted. We'll see. I'm sure there'll be some some element of a spike. The media will probably ignore it because it's not in their self-interest to do so. 
and, and all these medical directors are super liberal and super down with the protests, so they're not going to say anything negative about the protests in relation to any spikes. But it doesn't matter what the reality is. I'm talking about the perception. How does the, the, how do those pictures, how do the videos of those protests with no social distancing, after we've been told for months this is a matter of life and death, that if you go out and don't social distance, you're trying to kill grandma. That, that's what we've been told. How can these pictures, on the same weekend when we're not allowed to have high school graduations, we're, we're, I have a niece who was in tears because she went to go pick up her stuff from her first grade class. She got all dressed up thinking she was going to go say goodbye to her teacher and the teacher wasn't even there. All was that was there was a box of her stuff that had been trashed without even a note. This is all, this is in Massachusetts. This is all because, oh my gosh, we have to pretend that this virus thing is like leprosy. And if anyone gets it, we're all going to die. And I mean, and this is, this is, so we're living in two completely different worlds here. Two completely different worlds. I, I, I am stunned. If, if, if that doesn't have an impact on the, what's left of the middle-of-the-road independent swing voter in a state like Michigan or uh, Wisconsin or Pennsylvania who happens to be white, and they don't look at that and go, whoa, what? Really? Uh, how does that make any sense? And they don't get pissed off if, if their kid couldn't uh, say goodbye at school or have a graduation or they couldn't have a funeral? For, for somebody uh, who was a loved one, whether they died of the virus or not. But, but Black Lives Matter is allowed to have whatever protest they want with no social distancing? I, I, I'm, I, I am baffled as to how that is not a scenario that is helping Donald Trump at this point. And, it, and if it doesn't in the next couple of weeks assuming everything else being equal, then he has lost so much of the country. Understandably so. Let me make that clear. Understandably so. And I've been concerned about this since his election, that this was the scenario that was going to happen, that the, that the backlash was going to be so great that the left was going to be in a far better position in four years than they could ever possibly imagine being in, all because of Trump's failed presidency and his uh, reliance only on the base, only on the 42% of people who strongly support him, and that this was going to create a tidal wave of backlash and that we were going to pay dearly for the Donald Trump presidency. And that looks like what it's going to is look, looks like what's going to happen because it appears right now, underline appears, that 55% of the country has just flat out given up on Donald Trump. Correct. And they not coming back. And and because the only thing that would drive them back is liberals going overboard. And I say it almost every week and I still believe it to be true and it's still Trump's best shot for re-election, liberals will always 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 overplay their hand. And they have clearly done that here, but maybe my miscalculation here is their hand is just not losable. Even Democrats might not be able to screw this up. I, I have talked uh, a lot uh, during this whole 
uh, in Individual One podcast about there is a scenario where and I, I referred to this as my amusement park analogy. You know, remember when we used to have amusement parks before the coronavirus? When you go to an amusement park, and I have young kids, so I'm very well aware of this, you have to be a certain height to be able to get on a ride, depending on, you know, how supposedly uh, risky or dangerous the ride looks to be. And it's kind of the same way with Trump and his reelection. If he's not at a certain level of support, he can't ride the ride. Now, up until the last couple of weeks, he has been at that level of support. He has been close enough to Biden. His approval rating has been high enough that he could ride the ride. And once he rides the ride, he's got a shot because he's got a lot going for him. He's got incumbency. He's got an incredibly fervent base. He's got a bad opponent in Joe Biden who is prone to gaffes any moment. He's got a, an opponent who's going to have to pick a black female vice presidential nominee, which is classic overplaying your hand, depending on who it is. I mean, I, I, I believe right now it's probably going to be Val Demings, congresswoman from Florida. That would be a rational pick since she's a former uh, police chief of Orlando. But who knows? You know what? The left might be so fucking nuts at this point that she might be disqualified because she's a former police chief. <laughs> as insane as that is. You cannot be serious. But, uh, but the reality is Biden's going to have to pick an affirmative action vice president. And I, I still believe that if the virus is under control, though we don't know that, and then we're becoming more and more questions about that, I'll get to that momentarily, uh, that you know he's going to look weird and weak in that mask. Trump's not going to be wearing a mask. He's going to be doing his rallies. If the rallies go well, it's going to really create a dichotomy and a disparity between how strong Trump looks and how weak Biden looks. I, I, I still think that that is a rational way of looking this, at this, but we might be in a set of circumstances where it does not matter. It does not matter because in the minds of about 55% of the public, Trump has been disqualified. He has been completely disqualified. And, you know, the great irony here is that if Trump were to, you know, he would never do this in a million years, if he were to withdraw from the race or if he would die of coronavirus and let's say Mike Pence was the nominee and Nikki Haley was his vice presidential nominee, I actually believe a Pence-Haley ticket would beat Joe Biden and whoever he picked based upon how crazy the left has gone because they would be able to take advantage of the left insanity. Trump might not be able to do it because he's so toxic. He's been so disqualified. Again, I want to emphasize, understandably so. But he's been so disqualified in the minds of 55% of the American public, he can't get on the ride. And, uh, and if he can't get on the ride, then none of these tactics that he's willing and able to use to his advantage are going to matter very much, especially in a world where hardly anyone changes their minds. I know people are going to say, well, John, my gosh, it's only June. We've got a long way to go. We don't have that long way, that long way to go, actually, because uh, this is like an aircraft carrier and people hardly ever change their minds. And right now they're changing their minds towards Biden and away from Trump. And again, I've already mentioned, I'm, I'm not willing to come to a, a conclusion yet and for a couple of weeks to let the dust settle here but there's a lot of reasons why using the traditional playbook it should be the opposite based upon how nuts the left has gone 
And, you know, my explanation for that is, frankly, I think a lot of white people have become so brainwashed and have so much white guilt and uh, and are so terrified of expressing any opinion that appears to be remotely, even theoretically racist, that they won't even do it to a pollster and they probably won't even do it in a, in a polling booth. I, I mean, and I'm and then by, by the way, I understand that to a certain degree. And Trump deserves some blame for that. But it feels to me like the normal playbook is not going to work here and that Trump may have lost his magic, even with the right wing media. And let me give you an example of how I believe Trump has lost his magic, even with the right wing media that directly relates to this whole issue. I referenced what happened in Buffalo. Now, the Buffalo circumstance I find to be fascinating And I I hate the fact that this is a podcast and I can't show you the video, but I think at this point most people have seen the video of a 75-year-old protester slash activist by the name of Martin Gugino, who is a very tall white guy uh, who uh, became part of a viral video because the police were trying to enforce a curfew in Buffalo about six days ago. And they created a police line. They're in riot gear and they're starting the line walking down the street to enforce the curfew. And all of a sudden, in comes Gugino walking up against the police line to one or two police officers. And when you look at the the video uh, at first glance, what you see is there seems to be some sort of exchange or confrontation between Gugino and police. And two of the police officers push Gugino, and he, to me, appears to lose his balance. He falls down, cracks his head on the pavement. Uh, It looks, looks like he's almost out immediately. And the police line keeps moving. And the immediate reaction on social media was, Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Oh, this is horrible! This poor old man! He's basically been left for dead by the police! They just marched right past him! They threw him to the ground! This is outrageous! I mean, it went bananas. It was a full-on Twitter mob. Uh, the, the likes of which the Salem witch trials would have been uh, blushing about. They would have been jealous of uh, this level of rush to judgment. Now, I'm a contrarian by nature. I also understand real life better than most people. And I also am not uh, prejudiced by my belief system. I'm an incredibly objective person. And damn it, no one can convince me otherwise. That That's a joke, but there's some reality to that. Uh, and when I looked at the video, I go... Wait a minute. Hold on a second. The the first thing about the video that uh, I found to be uh, troubling is that this is a guy who's approaching a police line in a, in the situation where they're enforcing a curfew. This is not a guy who uh, is walking up to a police officer on a corner asking for directions. I mean, that's what people seem to be perceiving this as. This is a highly tense situation. So inherently, him walking up to a police officer, getting in their space, by the way, what the fuck happened to social distancing in this entire conversation? I've, I've, been, I've been bombarded by tweets on this for a week. I've never had one person ever mention, Joy, 
It was outrageous how that guy not only got into the space of the police officers, he broke social distancing. I mean, <laughs> no one wants to mention that. I mean, so I guess social distancing doesn't matter. I, I, I thought I mean, we were living in a world where if you get within six feet of somebody, that's inherently assault, that you're inherently a threat because you might be giving them the coronavirus. But that, that's off the window now. That's totally gone. So, so he's within a foot of these police officers. And uh, so right there... That's a problem. The police don't push him immediately. There's some exchange. Now, I didn't even notice at the time that the guy is doing something with his phone. What? I don't know. And this is where Trump's insanity is actually uh, a major problem, even when he's mostly right. Because, and I'll get to that momentarily. But so when I look at the video, I'm thinking, okay, this guy is clearly looking to create an incident. I, and how much? I don't know. I don't know anything about him at this point. But I'm, this is a guy who wants an incident. And he gets pushed, and the push does not look very dramatic to me at all. It's hard to tell on a distant video. But, you know, it looked to me like it was, it was a, hey, get out of my space type of thing. And he reacts as if he'd been hit over the head with a two-by-four. And it looked to me like he was exaggerating the impact of the push. Now, the problem, of course, becomes he's 75 years old. He's a very tall person. And at 75, when you're tall, it's very easy to lose your balance. He's tall and pretty thin. And so, in my view, he exaggerates like a soccer player or a basketball player looking for a foul because he knows he's on video. He, he exaggerates the the impact of the push and then in the exaggeration he starts to lose his balance and then he falls and hits his head on the concrete and it looks terrible and he was injured badly and now apparently he's going to be okay uh, you know to what extent his injuries are I, i'm not 100 percent sure but you know he, he, there's no indication he's going to die from this it looked bad and then what what really looked bad was that the marching police kept going, which apparently is what they're supposed to be doing. Now, no one wants to mention that you can hear on the video immediately a police officer say, call a medic. So there's an immediate call for a medic. One police officer tries to look down and see whether or not he should help him, and another guy says, no, we got to keep going. And then something else happens which creates a huge misperception. Some other moron starts charging the police line in the exact same area. And the police are now all distracted and have to take care of this idiot who is doing, who's clearly trying to create an incident. And so it makes it look in the video as if they don't give a shit about this old man who they just threw to the ground and for all that they know might be dead or dying. So it looks bad, but it has nothing to do with whether or not they care about the old man. It has to do with the fact that there was another episode seconds later that completely distracted everybody. And then, of course, the video ends. So what do we learn in the aftermath? Now, I was positive we were going to learn this guy uh, is an activist. This guy's got a history. 
And now people think, well, that doesn't matter. He has every right to, to be. No, no. Here's why it matters. When and, it, and it, we now know the guy is a longtime super liberal activist. I don't know whether or not as Trump would later tweet he's part of Antifa or not. I have no idea. No one even knows what the hell uh, Antifa is as far as an organization. But he's been he has been a longtime activist. Uh, the mayor of Buffalo even referred to him as an agitator. And it looked like it looked like there was going to be some sanity when the mayor made the statement that this guy's a longtime agitator. And then 57 EMTs from the Buffalo Police Department quit that element of their job in protest. I thought, wow, because what happens was that the police were immediately suspended in the in the outrage. And I'm thinking, Wow, this might be a situation where sanity actually reigns supreme. That irrationality is going to take a loss, and this is going to be fixed because you got the mayor essentially backing up the police. You got the EMTs backing up the police. Of course, the media tried to to make you know to change that because they were soon. Oh, they didn't like that at all. So they had to find a couple of fifty-seven to speak anonymously, saying, "Well, we weren't really backing up the police. We were just talking about how difficult it would be uh, for us to do our jobs if these are the new rules." Blah 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 blah. No, I'm sorry. You had every single EMT was willing to sign on to a statement that effectively backed up the police who had been suspended from their jobs for this push that resulted in this guy's injuries. And so I thought, okay, maybe the Twitter mob's going to lose this one. Well, then the county steps in and they charge the police with serious crimes. So now they've been suspended. They're going to effectively been fired. Their careers are destroyed. And now maybe their freedoms are on the line, all because of a push to get somebody out of their personal space. Again, what happened to social distancing that results in something that I don't think they had anything to do with. I believe that his injuries happened because he was exaggerating the impact to create a video moment, lost his balance, hit his head, and that's why he got injured. And so I got obliterated on Twitter for expressing this opinion. And I didn't even express it in a particularly strong fashion. I'm like, my, my view on this is hold everything. Can we hold our horses here? Can, can we at least get to the bottom of what happened before we start destroying people's lives? But we can't do that anymore. You know why we can't do that anymore? Because it's like a fucking movie. I, I, I've got two kids. You heard, hopefully, in the last podcast from my eight-year-old daughter. Eight-year, my eight-year-old daughter, Grace, is very in tune. Very in tune with who the good guys are and the bad guys are in any movie or TV show that she watches. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Remember, that's the way she looks at the world. That was a legitimate question she asked. I didn't put her up to that. Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? So when people look at this video, they go, wow, old man, protester. So he's, he's, he's on the good side. He, he's, he's a virtue. He's got virtue. He's signaling his virtue by being there. He's even wearing a mask. And he gets hurt badly. That's the good guy. That's the good guy in this drama. We must defend the good guy, 75 years old. He can't be up to anything uh, with any ill intent because, after all, no 75-year-olds have ever done anything that was uh, with ill intent. And, uh, and you know, he's on our side. Uh, and even though he's white, if he had been black, we would have really known he was the good guy. But, you know, we'll give him a pass because he's clearly signaling his virtue. And he got hurt. So he's the good guy. And the police in the riot gear, we already know they're evil assholes. So, uh, and they're the ones doing the pushing. So they're the bad guys. So it's a very easy drama to understand. Uh, the, the old white guy, he's, 
he's good. The the riot gear police, they're bad. They're evil. So then once you determine who the good guys and the bad guys are, then it's over. It's over at that's, that point because now you're perceiving all the information through that prism. You're already invested in who the good guys are and the bad guys are. And so then when you find out that he's an activist and that that day he was telling people he was looking for trouble and that even other fellow protesters were upset with him because he was looking for trouble, there's video that, that uh, depicts exactly that. And when you, when you learn his motivation, and uh, the motivation to me is important because it shows his motivation to exaggerate an incident for effect. I mean, that is clearly what, uh, what happened on the video to me. And, and who he is is 100% consistent with acting that out and someone who would be well-trained to do that. And let me, get, let me back up for a second. The idea that these protesters are not trained and don't know what they're doing. I mean, this guy is a veteran. This guy has been around. This guy knows the game. Let me tell you, I have experienced this in my own life. When I was a talk show host in Los Angeles, twice I went up to San Quentin Prison here in California, back when we used to do executions in California, or pretend that we were going to do them. And I got to tell you, they was the, uh, the protesters that were up there were so unbelievably organized. These were professionals. These were people who knew exactly how the media worked. They knew exactly how to sabotage my show. They knew my name. They, I couldn't believe it. I don't. It's not even our market. How the hell did they know who I even was broadcasting my show from outside San Quentin? These were the meanest, the ugliest, most hateful people I've ever encountered in my entire career. These are the exact same types of people. So, so this don't be naive about who these types of protesters are. They might say they're in favor of peace and love and harmony and all that bullshit. No, no, no. These are very hateful people. They, 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 they want to create a scene. They want, a, especially in this era uh, of everything being on cell phones, they want a viral video. And that's what I believe this guy wanted. Now, when you, not only do you learn his history and who he really is and even what was going on that day, and, and there's so many, you know, little red herrings, like he's carrying a helmet. And the, the media, apparently, even in Buffalo, has been uh, trying to pretend that he was returning a police helmet. No, the helmet is not a police helmet. Look at the pictures. It's not a police helmet. I don't know what the hell he, what he was doing. It appears to be a motorcycle helmet, whether he wanted to use it for himself, for protection. Who the hell knows? Maybe he just had that as a cover story. I don't know, but it was he was not returning a police helmet. But you know what he was doing? He was doing something really weird with his phone. Now, I do not know what the hell he was doing. I've asked the question a hundred times on Twitter. What was he doing with, with the phone? He, he takes the phone again in the space of the police, what happened to social distancing, and he's using the phone as if it is a scanner at the grocery store. It's clear he's doing this. I don't know why he's doing this. And unfortunately, this is where Trump being a fucking moron causes a problem for the truth. So I'm out here on an island all by myself, essentially, defending the police, saying, hold on, people, this scenario doesn't make any sense. And lo and behold, yesterday I wake up and who has decided to tweet about this, essentially from my perspective, <laughs> bizarrely, Donald Trump. Correct. But Trump, being an idiot and being a conspiracy theorist, latches on to the cell phone part of this when I don't think that was necessary or helpful. 
He's latching onto this theory, which I have absolutely no idea if it's real, if it's even possible. I've read some things that make it sound plausible. It sounds a little too conspiracy or sophisticated even for my tastes on this. But Trump's out there saying, well, you know, he might have been using his cell phone to try to scan the police for, for data or for their location or what, I don't know what the hell it is, but it sounds just batshit crazy. I, having no idea whether or not there's anything to it or not, to me, it doesn't matter. That's not the part of the story that's important. All that matters is that the police had reason to think this guy is up to no good. He's in their space. Again, what happened to social distancing? He's breaking a police line. He's got no reason to be there. He's defying orders to leave. He's he's breaking curfew. And now he's got his phone out scanning the police officer's bodies. I'm sorry. That is more than enough reason under those circumstances, under that tense of situation, to push the guy away. That's incredibly valid. And the fact that he ends up cracking his head largely because of his own damn fault, I'm sorry. That is an unfortunate circumstance. That is, un, that, But it is not the fault, based upon what we currently know, of the police officers. And, when, and it used to be when the President of the United States chimed in on something like this and, and said, wait a minute, uh, you know, we might be getting this wrong, that that would actually be a positive for the truth. But Trump is so toxic, it was actually a huge negative. And it was really an eye-opening experience for me, having, you know, been a very, very, very small part of the story. I mean, I lost hundreds of Twitter followers because of this, not that I give a shit. But, I mean, that's how strongly people reacted to me even standing up for due process for the police in this environment. And you would think that the President of the United States standing up and, and, and saying, you know what, you know, not that he's used my name, but, you know, effectively saying that this position that I've been taking is correct or appears to be correct, that should be somewhat of a positive. Instead, it was a horrendous negative. It forever cemented the media-led perception that there's only one side of the story, and that if you don't buy our side of the story, you are a conspiracy nut. You are somebody who doesn't know what's going on. You're a... And that Donald Trump didn't do his proper investigation and that he has no idea uh, what he's talking about. He's making it up as he goes and not. And that he got his information from bad sources. All I know is what's on the internet. I mean, and so, and all of that is understandable because of the history of the last four years. Because Trump has jumped on so many bad causes and he is a conspiracy nut and he lies all the time and he has no credibility. But I believe he's mostly right on this. And I'm one of the very, very, I'm the only, let's face it, I'm the only never-Trump, anti-Trump conservative willing to actually say it now because all the other formerly conservative anti-Trump people have decided they can't say anything to offend their new customers. That's what this is about, by the way. You might have noticed, they don't. I don't have them on the show anymore. I don't even know if they would come on anymore, most of them. But uh, we used to have a lot of guests from the, the never-Trump professional conservative class I'm not interested anymore because they've all sold out. They're, they're, they, I mean, and this is a great example. The police issue. I mean, this is an issue where conservatives used to be pro-police, pro-due process, 
pro-rationality. That's all out the window now because you can't offend your liberal, your new liberal audience, your new liberal customers. I don't give a shit about customers. I only care about the truth. And the truth here is that those police, police officers, I believe, have gotten completely railroaded and had their lives destroyed based upon what we currently know in an unfair situation. I, I am more than willing to admit I'm wrong if there's new evidence that emerges. But I think Trump was actually mostly right. He just fucked it up in the way that uh, he articulated it. And he is so toxic now that he actually harmed than he did uh, any good at all. And as far as, you know, and, and I mentioned Trump losing his magic. Most of the right wing media didn't even back Trump up on the Buffalo situation. That's how terrified they are. They are so terrified of the race issue, even though this isn't a race issue. Gugina is white. Uh, the, the police officers are apparently white. I mean, this is nothing necessarily to do with race other than the reason for, for why everyone was there because of the, the George Floyd protests. But that's how terrified the right-wing media is. There was hardly any backup for Trump on this. And that, to me, was an interesting insight into whether or not Trump has lost his magic, even on the right, and whether or not he is in deep peril when it comes to re-election. Now, a lot can change. There's still a path for him. But as of right now, uh, I think that that, uh, for sure right now he would get crushed. For sure right now he would get crushed. It would be 1980 all over again, Jimmy Carter losing to Ronald Reagan. It would be that level of a loss right now. Trump's approval uh, is at a negative 13. It's as bad as minus 19 in one poll. Uh, His his average approval rating is now only 42%. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, a lot of it's legitimate. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly why, which one, which data point did it. Uh, but there's no question that his polling has diminished greatly in the last couple of weeks. This all during a time period when there's some good news on the virus front. As I predicted several weeks ago, the death rate in the United States has gone down significantly on a daily basis against projections. I was dead right about that. But guess what? Showing you my objectivity, I'm not convinced that that's not going to change. I'm not certain as of yet. I, I, I am now, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably at a 4 level of concern that we might be headed towards an increase in the daily death rate in the next couple of weeks. I, I need some more information before I come to that conclusion, but I'm, I'm at the level of concern. Now, that being said... I'm very much aware that the news media, as I've also predicted, is completely invested, completely invested in promoting any sort of spike, real or imagined, in order to try to sabotage the the recovery or the reopening. They've been doing it constantly. They tried to do it Memorial Day. My God, remember the Memorial Day panic? The Ozarks, Ocean City, Maryland, Wisconsin. Well, guess what? And I chart this because I remember these things. No one else does. They all get forgotten as soon as these these negative projections or predictions are made, all the hysteria, all the panic. And then once we finally get the data in and there's nothing there, no one ever apologizes. No one ever corrects the record. But the the Memorial Day concern over open pools and lakes and what have you and and people not social distancing. This was before the George Floyd protests when we find out finally that, guess what, social distancing is bullshit and that no one really cares about it, apparently. Um, But there was no evidence at all of a Memorial Day weekend spike in in Maryland, uh, in Wisconsin uh, or in Missouri. None. 
and I've, I've looked at it very carefully. Now we're 16 days past that. Uh, if there was going to be one, it would have happened already. Now, will there be a spike over the, the riots and the protests? We don't know yet. It'd be interesting to watch. We should find that out in the next couple of days. There should be evidence of that. I, I don't believe that the news media or the health experts will focus on it. They'll give that a pass because that was worth it. That was worth it if there's any sort of uh, riot or protest-related spike. But, uh, you know, there's other concerning uh, data points out there. The biggest concern for me right now is that in the very, very warmest elements of the country, Texas, Florida, Arizona, and parts of California, there are an increase in cases and hospitalizations. Now, when you look deeply into the data, I know you're not allowed to do that because context no longer matters. There are some explanations for that. There's a lot of focus right now on Arizona. Well, uh, from what I can tell, and even the New York Times, although they didn't specifically talk about Arizona here, even the New York Times has written an article about this. There's a lot of possible reasons that have nothing necessarily to do with the power of the virus, what's going on in those states. Three of those states I just mentioned are border states with Mexico. There's some evidence that people are coming over from Mexico because they have the virus coming here to get treated. Even the New York Times was willing to acknowledge that. There's also issues, I understand, in Arizona regarding Indian reservations and prisons that might be skewing the numbers. So it, you got to look deep, more deeply than into just the surface stories, especially when the news media is very invested in promoting any sort of spike. But regardless... What bothers me about this, and I, I, I need, again, find out more information, what bothers me is that part of why I have been convinced we were heading for a much lower daily death rate over the next few weeks, which I predicted several weeks ago and turned out to be true, is because of the weather. And if the weather, and here we're talking about the hottest portions of the country in, you know, now we're into June, and, uh, you know, to me, uh, that's troubling if you're really seeing a spike there, because that would indicate to me that, OK, maybe weather doesn't have that much impact. And if weather doesn't have that much impact and this happens to be occurring as we reopen, is it possible that it's the reopening that is at least in part causing these spikes? I don't want to overreact uh, because, frankly, these spikes are of small numbers. And when you're starting with small, really small numbers, it's very, very, very easy to get a spike. That's always been one of my concerns, especially where I, I live in Southern California. We've had almost no virus cases. Now we're getting 40 a day and our medical officer is starting to panic uh, when in reality, that's nothing compared to what he claimed it was going to be at the beginning. But we're, we're creatures of expectation. Expectations are everything in life. And so now all of a sudden we're living in a world where 40 cases in a county of 850,000 people starts to sound significant. It's not statistically. So I'm not losing perspective or proportion, but I'm going to predict this. We are in for a wave, not necessarily of coronavirus. We are in for a wave of media stories telling us that we're going to get a second wave. If there is a second wave, then God help us all. We're, we're, we're toast. Uh, Trump's toast. Uh, uh, our, our economy is toast. The stock market will eventually collapse, even though it's gone crazy in the positive direction over the last month or so. Uh, if there is a legitimate second wave, then, you know, my gosh, I, I can't even imagine uh, how horrendous that's going to be in every possible way, because we've we've set us ourselves up uh, for a horrific situation. And in, I do think that there is a path that we have picked the absolute worst possible way to handle the coronavirus. 
by not totally shutting down the whole country, which I was not in favor of, would not have been in favor of, uh, and like some countries did, and having you know part of the country open, part of it closed, and then reopening before it's totally gone. Uh, we, we've taken all these these halfway measures. We didn't do what Sweden did, even though now Sweden's under more criticism because their death rate is, is among the highest. Uh, to me, we've taken the absolute worst possible path. And now I'm still hoping we're going to get lucky and that there was not going to be this second wave and that maybe the weather really does have an impact and that these numbers are deceiving for the reasons that I've already articulated. But I am concerned and I am positive the media is already going to jump all over this, especially with Trump starting his rallies. I mean, that's going to be symbolically incredibly important. Does Trump get away with doing his rallies? If Trump is able to get away with doing his rallies, I think it could help him. In a, if he handles it properly, which is always a big if, uh, but uh, if it doesn't work out well, then it's over. Uh, you stick a fork in him, uh, for better or for worse. And so I, I'm I'm very hesitant about what's going on with the virus right now. Even though there's some significantly good news nationwide with regard to the the lowering death rate on a daily basis, and of course the World Health Organization, not an organization I always trust, but they took all sorts of flack this week because one of their spokespeople said that get this, asymptomatic cases, asymptomatic transmission of the coronavirus is quote very rare. Wait a minute. Hold on. That was the whole basis for everything. That was the basis certainly for closing down schools. That's the basis for almost all of the big shutdown provisions that, oh, my gosh, we have all these people who have it, don't realize they're having it and they're spreading it to everyone else. Well, the WHO said, no, that's very rare. Then, of course, there was all sorts of backlash. And the way this works in this day and age is if you say something that's against the religion uh, of the liberal elite media. You, you are immediately attacked. Blasphemy! He said it again. So you have to correct it. Now you, so you have to walk it back in some way that's not really walking it back, but you have to pretend to walk it back, which is what the WHO spokesperson did the next day. If you listen carefully, there wasn't much of a walk back. But this is all about politics. You, you can't let the Twitter mom go, mob go crazy on you. You can't lose your, your seat at the cool people's table in high school. Uh, and you don't want to lose your job for sure. So, um, but we continue to learn things about the virus that contradict the very foundation for why we did all this to begin with. And it's incredibly infuriating. And I don't know how many people are starting to get it or not. I, my wife and my two kids and I, we, we actually escaped California for the last uh, six days. We went all the way to Utah and then to Las Vegas, all basically so that uh, our daughters could find a pool that was open. We're not allowed to have pools open, even on private property here in Southern California. Technically, we're allowed to, but there's no one can figure out how to do it because the rules are so convoluted and so insane. Uh, our, our local uh, club that we're a member at thought they were opening up the pools several times, and then they, the county shut them down again, even though the county has absolutely no legal right whatsoever to do so on private property in a situation where private pools are perfectly fine. You can, you can have a pool in your backyard and use it, not a problem. Uh, obviously, anybody with a half a brain understands that chlorine it, it kills viruses instantly, uh, and it's very easy to social distance in a pool. We found that out in both Utah and in Las Vegas. Uh, but it was interesting because now, and this is not a scientific study because obviously people who are out and about, and, and we found a lot of people from California, a lot of California refugees in Utah uh, 
and in Las Vegas, escaping the state, or I'll actually we'll call it the country of California because it's its own country. Um, but, you know, so you're self-selecting the people that you're meeting up with. These are all people who escaped, right? So they're not that afraid of the virus. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they want to get out and about. So, but among the people we met, there was almost uniformity and a unanimous uh, opinion that this is mostly bullshit, that, that these restrictions are bullshit and that we're ready to get along on with our lives. In Las Vegas, now Vegas is interesting because the whole vibe of Vegas, of course, is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's Sin City. Uh, what I found interesting about being in Vegas is I don't know how places like Vegas and, and to a different degree, places like Disneyland are going to possibly exist in this new normal because it goes against the very essence and vibe of the entire narrative of the place. I mean, how can you be Sin City when you got social distancing and and most of the things aren't open and, every, and you know, a quarter of the people are wearing masks and all the employees are wearing masks? Uh, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't. The vibe is all wrong. Uh, and when we were in Las Vegas, I would say, I don't know, it, it was probably 40 uh, percent capacity with about half the stuff being opened up. Uh, I would say, again, my, my wife and I were arguing about, you know, 25, 30 percent of all people there were wearing masks, which is odd to me. If you're if you're a mask person, why are you going to Las Vegas? <laughs> right. If you're someone who believes you need to wear a mask of all the places you would go, why would you go to Las Vegas <laughs> where, you, frankly, and I, I'm not, uh, you know, someone who's particularly concerned about the virus for a variety of reasons. You know, I, I am for my father and for my in-laws, uh, but not for me and my kids. You know, even I was a little worried about Las Vegas. I mean, you know, you got people touching the same things over and over again, especially with with the the machines and you're in an enclosed area. And I'm a big believer that inside is way worse than outside. And that if you're exposed to bad air for an extended period of time, that's like the worst thing you could possibly have happened. And so Las Vegas has a lot of that. So why, if you're a mask person, are you going to Las Vegas? I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But uh, but I would say about at least 60 to 70 percent of people in Las Vegas were not wearing masks, which I found interesting because, of course, politically we're told that it's the opposite, that 60 to 70 percent of the people in America actually are in favor of masks. And I just don't believe that that's going to be the case long term, especially if the virus stays under some semblance of control as it has been uh, heading in that direction for the last couple of weeks. Uh, as far as the stock market is concerned, stock market has, has been crazy. I've been totally wrong so far about where that was going to go. Uh, I predicted a couple of weeks ago that uh, in a few months we would think that it was insane that in May the stock market was over 24,000, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. As I speak to you now, it's at 27,000. I, I do not understand it. I, I think that if there is a second wave of any legitimacy uh, with no vaccine on the horizon, that that's going to go away very, very fast. And it might start to go away once the stock market realizes that uh, Joe Biden, with a socialist base, is more likely to be the next president of the United States. So uh, I, I personally would certainly not buy in to the market at these prices, but I've been wrong before on that. So take it for what that is worth. As far as other projections, while I am very, very, very convinced, as I have said for weeks, that if the election were held today, Donald Trump would lose, I still do believe that there is a real, though narrowing path for his reelection. 
I'm going to put that down at 30% at this. You know what? Let's make it a third. Let's make it 33% chance right now of Donald Trump being reelected. But he's got to make a move in the next couple of weeks because otherwise he'll be so socially distant from Joe Biden that he cannot remain in touch with him, metaphorically speaking, and then that will give Biden the ability to do all sorts of things that uh, will not uh, play into Donald Trump's hands. If it's a close race, then that uh, that equation dramatically changes. So officially, 33% chance of Donald Trump's re-election as of today. Our next episode is episode 111 of the Individual One podcast. So because of that, and because I've never done this before, uh, we're going to do a question and answer session. Uh, a, a portion of the podcast will de- be devoted to your questions, which I will answer them as many of them uh, as well and as honestly as I possibly can. So if you have a question for the next episode, episode 111 of the Individual One podcast, you can tweet it at me uh, at either um, my uh, Twitter feed or at our own Twitter feed for the podcast, which is at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual One Pod. Or you can email me directly. My personal email is talk to Zig. That's T A L K T O Z I G. Talk to Zig at AOL.com. That's talk to Zig at AOL.com. And in our next episode, we'll do a, a little bit of the Ask John Anything. And it can be anything related uh, to the podcast or to Donald Trump. And I will give you a, an honest and hopefully cogent answer. So uh, please take advantage of that. Until next time, also please subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, podcast via social media. And follow us on Twitter at individual, the number one pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. Until next week, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.